0: You're listening to Make Your Way, Season 3, Episode 1. Welcome to Make Your Way, where we explore what it means to work and create on your own terms. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials at katylinder.work podcasts. Hey, Katie. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, and I am super excited to be recording season three of the Academic Gig Podcast. Yay! We're here! We're We're doing a thing! Yes, we are. We're continuing (laughs) to do a thing. That's probably the better Uh, way to say it.
1: That's true. We are we are keeping on, keeping on. So Katie, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what season three is going to be all about?
0: Yes. So we're doing something slightly different for season three, um, and it's actually kind of inspired by a season of um, the podcast, The Invisible Office Hours, with Paul Jarvis and Jason Zook, where they showed behind the scenes how they built a software product, and that was like their entire season. So we will link to that in the show notes in case you're interested But we thought we would do an entire season around building a thing because Sarah and I are both in the process of building things. And so we thought we would talk about what we're building and how we're going about doing it. Everything from picking a topic, which is what we're going to talk about today, to designing the content of the thing, choosing platforms, getting into the aesthetic design and branding. Um, Of course, the actual creation of the the stuff in that thing. <laughs> we're talking kind of broadly here, but like, you know, if, we're, if you're creating videos or other kinds of things, um, if you have systems, you know, all the systems we're using kind of behind the scenes to get that content created, to manage it. And then, of course, talking pricing and how we're packaging it, some of the marketing decisions we're making. So, we're going to go like soup to nuts on how do we do building these things. And I'm really excited.
1: I am also really excited, and for any listeners who have been listening to Academic Gig for the last couple of seasons, you will know that uh, Katie is sort of the master at this, and so I am also looking forward to, like... Learning her process and exactly how she does this, I'm relatively new to uh, building this kind of thing that we're going to be talking about um, in terms of in terms of different kinds of content and uh, courses and and modules and all this kind of stuff. So I am excited to learn from Katie and also kind of share my own stumbles along the way with uh, with the audience because I think there's value in in uh, learning from are mess-ups too. So right. uh, I hope there will listeners be find it
0: really interesting. Yes, there will be. <laughs> uh, well, and I think just spoiler alert, yes, there are spoiler, stumbles. Spoiler alert, there will be stumbles. But I, I also want to say too, so what we're going to be talking about, and we'll, we'll go into each of our projects um, in a little bit about what we're actually going to be building this season, but um, it, this season would also work for you. So we're going to be talking about kind of products for our mm-hmm. businesses. But if you are thinking about building out services for your business, there's a lot in this season that's going to be applicable to you. So mm-hmm. um, hang in there and kind of think about you know, some of the things we're going to be discussing around you know, branding and packaging and things like that are going to be uh, super applicable to both services and to actual products. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to dive into these things. So Sarah, why don't you tell us, what are you building? What are you going to be focusing on when we're talking through these different elements in the episodes?
1: Yeah, so I am in the process of uh, collaborating with a colleague. Her name is Tracy Schreifels, She's delightful. since um, she and I are both kind of focused in the early childhood world. Um, she has a lot of experience um, working with early care providers and, um, and with uh, young children directly, um, a lot of practical experience and expertise that she's bringing to the table around these issues about uh, trauma and stress. She's done a lot of presenting, as have I, on that topic uh, Around the state of Minnesota, and um, really from from a lot of those presentations and conversations that we've had with care providers and people who work with young kids, we're learning a lot about what people actually need uh, on the ground and what what questions people have and where they struggle um, when they're face to face with a with a little kid who's who's having some troubles and and expressing some challenging behaviors. And so, Tracy and I have talked a lot about. Um, different things that we could provide um, you know we, we do a lot of presentations we get a lot of questions and there are a lot, a lot of them are the same kinds of questions and so we have talked about and, and are in the process of building um, sort of a, a package for lack of a better term, I guess, Um, we're calling it our resilience toolkit. And really it's a combination of videos and um, handouts that sort of extend the learning, as well as discussion questions and um, some scenarios that people can kind of work with and um, kind of try their hand at. And and really, this is meant as sort of a training tool for um, for smaller organizations or for for people who work with um, young children in the context of an early care center or uh, family child care that sort of thing really the the target audience is um, that, that level of provider, the people who are providing care um, to get an opportunity to kind of try out some new strategies that are really relationship focused uh, and relationship based to kind of help boost resilience for these young kids. And so that's what we're, working on um, developing. And it's going to be a package that's uh, kind of available for purchase. It's an online downloadable package. Um, we also have thoughts of kind of expanding it into a train the trainer kind of thing later on. So maybe we'll talk more about that throughout the rest of the season of Academic Gig. But um, that's the main thing that uh, I'm working on, on building and, and Tracy and I have had a lot of great conversations and we're looking forward to, to launching it soon.
0: Okay. This is um this is exciting. And this is like one of the first things you've done in this area.
1: Yes, yeah. This is the first kind of online um you know, kind of training tool package content module thing, (laughs) whatever we're calling it, um, that I've built. And so it's a lot of like throwing stuff at the wall and let's see what sticks. So hopefully I'm going to be learning a lot uh, in the next several weeks as we as we work to launch this thing um, about what's useful and what's not uh, from people who are who are starting to use it. But I, I really see this as my first foray into this. And I'm excited to kind of try things out and go from there and learn and develop new stuff too. So yeah, it's good. What about you, Katie? What are you working on building uh,
0: this year? Oh, can I ask one more question before Ooh, we get yes, into please that? Do. Okay, so I'm really curious, what was the decision turning point for you to actually start doing this? Because that, I think, is a really big deal in yeah. a business when you shift from service to product. Like, can you talk about why you decided to do that?
1: Yeah, uh, I think there were there were lots of reasons. Um Part of it is the, and we can talk more about this when we get into the nitty gritty of how to pick a topic and and audience and that sort of thing, but a lot of it was assessing need. Um, so the, the audience that we are targeting are people who... Um, don't have a ton of free time to go to, you know, f- three or four day long conferences, they don't have a lot of necessarily a lot of professional development dollars. So we needed to make something that was affordable and accessible. Okay. Um, and we saw that as an opportunity. And there's not a lot, there's there some, uh, some training opportunities and that sort of thing. But we haven't seen a lot of, of um, things out there that are similar to what we're providing. Um, and so that was another thing. It was like, oh, there's a hole in the market here that we could, we could kind of slide right into, which is nice. And then, um, for me in terms of my business and where I'm, where I'm taking it, there was really this incentive of uh, sort of that passive income stream. So this is a thing that I can tie into a lot of other presenting and consulting and that kind of thing that I already do. And I can say, hey, you know, if you're interested in more on this, I have this package that you can take and run with. Um, Basically, I want to give this content away and let people, you know, take it and do what they need to with it because I can't go to every, you know, every early childhood center and give this presentation and share this information. So this is a way for me to do that sort of more en masse and also, um, you know, that I can tie into my own business and business growth um, from that sort of passive income side as well. So those were kind of the main... Um, reasons behind wanting to to delve into this a little further.
0: Okay, yeah, I mean, I I think it's just really important to talk about like mm-hmm. what what are those rationales because it, it's kind of hard to take the leap. I mean, it, yeah. it's a I mean, it's a <laughs> lot of time usually to kind of yep. learn the things that you need to do to kind of create these things or or choose the platforms or whatever it might be, and and oftentimes there might be a monetary investment as well as
1: mm-hmm. you're trying
0: to think about like building a you know um, creating a platform or. So it, it, it sometimes goes beyond time. So I right. think it's just important to kind of think about those origins. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other thing I'll say there is that, um, you know, building products is something that I kind of knew slash know is a thing that I wanted to do more long term anyway. And this was sort of the first opportunity to do that in a way that felt comfortable in a way that felt like okay I can try a thing here and if it doesn't work it's not the end of the world right but I can start learning those skills that I know I'm going to need down the road anyway Um, so this is a kind of a low I don't want to say low bar but like an an easier opportunity an easier way to kind of dip my toe in the water Mm -hmm. that's not going to be a huge massive project that's going to be a huge um, loss if it doesn't pan out the way I I hope it will so it's kind of a way to try things out and learn new things um, in in a sort of safer environment
0: that's a really good point. Yeah, like, so thinking about where can you start that's like mm-hmm. low-hanging fruit in some ways. Yep. Um, and and yep. that's also a really great way to start thinking about picking a topic as well. So we'll we'll circle back to that. Yeah. So I'm
1: curious, Katie, what are you working on this this year um, that you're going to be talking about throughout the season?
0: Right. So speaking about massive projects, um, <laughs> this, this <laughs> one does not feel like low-hanging fruit to me. I mean, in some ways it does, in some ways it doesn't. Um, so I'm building out my second kind of Well, it's actually technically, I guess, my third full-size course. Um, And I do a lot of, like, modules and bundles. And, you know, like, I don't always do, like, full-size things. And if you listen to previous seasons, you know I have, like, a webinar series, for example. And then I turn those webinars into, like, mini courses. So I I do a lot of, like, repurposing of content to sell it and package it in lots of different ways. So my first full course, which is, like, the mass, what I'm calling the master course, was – the academic book promotion toolkit, and it was several like like eleven different modules at, that went into a lot of detail. They each had several videos. I mean, it was very in depth about how do you build a personalized marketing plan for an academic book. And I'm in the process right now of um, bundling like portions of that master course into smaller pieces that people can purchase. I'm also in the process of taking the How to Academia webinar series and creating it into a master level course where people could buy the master or they could buy the individual um, uh, webinars that have been reconstituted as mini courses. So hopefully you're tracking with that because it's a lot of like segmenting of content. Okay, so that brings me to this project that I'm going to be talking about on the show this season. And that is uh, my, my third kind of master course that I'm building. And it's called SOTL by Design. Um, SOTL stands for Scholarship of Teaching and Learning. And it is basically a class to walk people through how to design, implement, and then disseminate the results from a scholarship of teaching and learning research project. And um, this is something that I've been kind of thinking about for a long time. I feel like it's a merging of two of my passion areas, one of which is teaching and learning, and then the second is um, research design and methodology. So um, I am building out this course, and right now it is um, seven modules, each module has six um, sections in it, and it's, uh, as I've planned it out, it's a, it's a video-based course that's self-paced. Um, it has over 60 videos that I am currently scripting um, and will be recording. And it is also, um, it comes with a, a workbook that I've been designing that is right now 99 pages, And um, I think I'm going to be printing the workbook as a hard copy. So this is also pushing me into the realm of like creating a hard copy product that I'm going to be like shipping to people from my business, which I have never done. I've always done purely online digital in the past. So um, yeah, this is definitely like pushing me into new areas and I'm really excited. It sounds
1: super cool. And Katie has showed me uh, a little bit of the workbook and I'm just like drooling over it because it just looks so cool. (laughs) I'm so excited. The
0: design pieces are like super fun. So we're going to get into that later on in the season, um, talking about like actually like creating the aesthetic for these things and how you actually Mm -hmm. create the content because... The content creation, especially when you're doing courses and when you're doing something, what what I call the master course, like it's a lot of content. Like you're really trying to give people a comprehensive picture of how to do something. So we're Mm -hmm. not just talking about, I I think that this is why I'm really excited that you're sharing your project, Sarah, because yours in terms of scale is um, a lot smaller Mm
1: -hmm. than the one that Mm -hmm. I'm
0: creating. And so we can really kind of show what goes into, in terms of time and effort, doing these things at different levels.
1: Yep. Yep. I agree. It's, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to talk through all of these different aspects with you, Katie, especially, um, you know, because you've done this, you said this was your you know third time doing this. Um, I'm super curious to hear what you learned, you know, do, having done this once and twice before, what are the things that third time around you are like, okay, no, I, I learned that the first time this didn't work. And so I needed to do it this way instead. Um, and sharing that with our listeners, I think is gonna be really great.
0: Yeah, I think there'll be lots of lessons learned that we're going to talk about along the way. Um, So in this episode, now that we've kind of introduced you to these projects, and we're going to obviously dive deeper into them throughout the season, we thought we would talk about how do you pick a topic? Because when you Mm -hmm. decide to create a thing, um, obviously you need to kind of have content and and like a topic for that (laughs) thing. Um, And so we, we wanted to talk about, you know, like how do you decide... Not just like what the topic is, but even like how in depth you're going to go into it, you know like how do you even like identify the audience that you're kind of targeting mm-hmm. that topic to, so when you were kind of thinking about this, Sarah, and taking the leap, you talked a little bit about like seeing gaps and like this came out of an audience need for you. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of narrow this down because there were probably a lot of different angles you could have taken with this. How did you pick your topic
1: yeah um. I, I think this also speaks a little bit to the to those of you out there who are um, more on the service providing end of things, um, because one of the main focuses of of my business over the last couple of years has been doing a lot of presenting and speaking and training on content related to the book that I wrote a couple of years ago called Bridging the Relationship Gap. That book is all about strategies for working with kids who've experienced stress and, tra- stress and trauma in their early lives, and also... Um, sort of what that does to the brain and body and and what are other contexts and things people need to be thinking about when working with young kids. And so the presentation and training service that I offer kind of was a natural outgrowth of that book. And in a lot of ways, I see this product as a natural outgrowth of the the presenting and the trainings that I do. As I alluded to earlier, there are lots of times where you know, people might approach me and say, oh, I'd love to have you come talk to my staff and do this presentation for them because they couldn't be at this conference or they couldn't, you know, travel this this distance to come hear this, this talk at this conference or whatever it is. Um, and I can't always do that, right? Like I am one person. And so I can't always, um, you know, come out to individual groups. This is a way for me to provide a tool for people to say, okay, I know you can't have me come out. But here's a thing that you can take and work work on with your group today. you know you can you can take this and run with it. And so for me it, it's a, it's a sort of a natural outgrowth. It's sort of the next step um, of a line of business that I was already developing. Um, the other part of this with respect to expertise, I, I think um, being thoughtful about, what is it that you know that other people don't? And that can be a really hard thing to identify. Like there's so many things that I have learned through um, you know my content area of expertise that I sort of take for granted now. I forget that people don't know things about you know stress and trauma in early childhood, for example. And so you know, listeners, as you're thinking about what topic you might want to think about uh, exploring in terms of developing a product or a service, I think it's important to think about. What is it that you know? Um, what are those things that, when you talk about them with your friends who aren't in your field of interest, or you know, who aren't um, kind of immersed in that area as much? What is, what questions are they asking? You know, what things are they surprised by? Um, because I've found that that sort of led me in a in an interesting direction when I think about uh, what is it that I have that I can share with the world. Because academic academia and the sort of academic environment can sometimes make us feel like we don't know anything. (laughs) And so I think really reflecting on what is it that I have that I can share that is valuable, that might, um, really enhance the way that somebody else does their work, even though I don't have an expertise in their particular area, what might I be able to offer here? So those were some of the, the bigger questions that were swirling around, um, as I was in the process of thinking of developing a product, and then it just happened that you know Tracy and I met each other, and we were like, "We should, we should talk about because we're kind of on the same wavelength. We 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 need to do a thing together." So, um, so that c- collaboration was kind of a, a natural. Uh, outgrowth of some other work that we'd been doing and that sort of thing. And and it's kind of just all came together really nicely, Um, but only because I was being thoughtful about what kind of product would I wanna build? What would I want it to look like? What use would I want it to have? I've been already mulling a lot of those questions in the back of my mind. And so when this opportunity to work with Tracy came about, I was like, yeah, cool, let's build a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where we landed. So those are some of the main questions that I'd encourage people to think about is, what is it that you know that you want to
0: share with others? And how do you think you can do that? Well, and I think you pointed out something really interesting. You like kind of glossed over it, so I want to like pull it out, which is, you've written a book. So when, yeah. you're like, when you're like, I've never done this. I've never created a product where I'm like, you know, you have. It was your book. <laughs> that's true. So I think that that's the thing with academics, especially if you've been publishing, you mm-hmm. have created a product. We don't right. think about those things as products because we don't typically, especially with like articles and things, we don't sell them. Like we're not mm-hmm. seeing the, the income. And even with royalties, we may not be seeing the income. <laughs> um, but I think that that's a piece to remember is like. I think about when I first started thinking about courses and like selling products I was like I've Mm -hmm. never done this before but then I was like but I have because I've been Mm -hmm. marketing my books I have been selling a product I just I I, because I'm doing it through a publisher it doesn't feel like it's like me doing it like out there Mm -hmm. on my own trying to get people to buy a thing so that's something to kind of I don't know I just want to point that out like if you've published Mm -hmm. a book you have created a product
1: yeah, that's a great point. It's true. <laughs> I sometimes forget I've done it. It's one of those things. That oh, yeah, that was a couple of years ago. I've completely glossed over it in my head, which is a weird and dumb thing to do. I real I recognize, but well, and so um, much of your
0: business is tied to it, which is so yeah. interesting. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I wrote a book. Wait, what? Well, obviously you blocked it out for some <laughs> kind of important reason. Yeah, I mean it was a process. Let let me just say, but um, I'm hoping this product development process is is easier <laughs> than writing a whole book. Hopefully I more fun too. Be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what about you, Katie? How did you go about the process of picking a topic and identifying your expertise area and
0: your audience and those sorts of things? Well, I think it's a little bit similar to what you said, in which, in in that I look at things that I get questions about from other people. So um, one kind of helpful thing is like the podcast that I, the other podcast I do, You've Got This, there's a Q&A section and people will like write in and, and ask me questions. And so I start to see like patterns in the questions that people are asking. The other thing that I look for, um, and this, I don't know if this is going to come out in the right way, but basically like, what are the things that I do that impress other people, but that don't seem hard to me? So when people are like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I just do it. Like, you know, like, so I, I, I understand that there are people who, for whatever reason, like, and this is something I feel very passionate about, especially with higher ed. Like, I feel like we should not be hiding the processes to do a lot of the stuff that we do in higher ed, especially with things like publishing. Like, it just feels right. so mysterious to people. So that's like how my webinar series came about is I was like, let me just talk to you about how I do, like, what it, what does it mean to, like, publish an article? What does it mean to put together a book collection, an edited collection? Like, how do you go about creating a five-year publishing plan? You know, like, how do you do those things? And because I've had a lot of experience with those things, it's relatively easy for me to put together information. I mean, it takes some time and I and some thought, but I can like really package that in a way that's like, let me just like pull the curtain back and show you how to do this and and give you examples from like a range of different settings of how this is done. So um a lot of it for me is looking around and help letting other people identify my expertise for me. Mm-hmm. And then I can kind of you know, think about what are the different ways that I might package or monetize that. Um, I think the other piece of it, too, is in a lot of these kinds of businesses, and I think, Sarah, you and I both do this, we give away stuff for free, like pretty Mm -hmm. frequently um, Mm -hmm. through podcasting for me, through I do this through blogging. I do this through a lot of like Skype calls and stuff with people who are just like, can you talk to me about, you know, X, Y, Z topic? Um, and so this was for me initially, like, a, about a year ago, maybe a little bit more when I really started thinking about monetizing these products, it was a question about what do I want to monetize instead of give away for free. Right. And right. for me, typically that means larger, comprehensive, like, I can't give away for free, well, I could, but like this idea of the nine part webinar series, like that is a packaged kind of holistic look at writing and publication in higher ed that feels like, I mean, it's an investment of my time and it's an investment of the audience's time. And so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, I want them to value it like I'm valuing it. And that means charging for it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like part of that is also thinking about what is the topic that you really want to do a deep dive in with your audience and you want them to commit to doing Mm -hmm. that deep dive with you? Because when you monetize something, you're asking someone to commit. In a different way than if I just gave this stuff away and said, carve out, you know, 10 hours of your life to spend with me this year um, talking about these topics or issues. Mm -hmm. So that's another way. I mean, I think about it from a lot of different angles, um, but that's kind of where I start. And then I think with this course in particular, the one I'm going to be talking about this season, it also came out of an audience need. Um, I saw two things happening. One was there. Well, kind of a convergence of factors, I guess. One is a rise in scholarship of teaching and learning as institutions that are primarily teaching focused institutions are asking their faculty to produce more scholarship. Mm -hmm. And people are basically because they started at a teaching institution, they have like a dried up pipeline. Like they didn't come with the understanding that they would be researching. And so scholarship of teaching and learning has become a way for people at teaching-focused institutions to engage in scholarship in really meaningful ways. So there's kind of this rise in scholarship of teaching and learning happening, and also at other institutions as well. Um, at the same time, there are centers for teaching and learning that may not feel equipped to train people in research. That's mm-hmm. a, That was also not really their charge. They're more on the pedagogy side. You know, They're about helping people to... Um, do course design or design a rubric or, you know, all kinds of other, you know, assessment things related to their their teaching and helping students learn. And so there may not be kind of the skill set that's necessary in, in that to help people kind of with a, those research methods. And then the third thing is maybe the skill set is there, but they don't have the time to create mm-hmm. a comprehensive program to help people to design soup to nuts, a scholarship of teaching and learning project. So all of those things together... I had this kind of moment where I was like, what if I created like an institute in a box that I could like Mm. hand to you and you could run it in a faculty learning community. You could hand it to an individual faculty member if they needed it. Or, you know, you could kind of like do whatever you wanted with it. But it is a comprehensive guide to how Mm -hmm. do you walk people through a project like this? And that's what really launched me into like, oh, that's interesting. You know, like, let me let me think about that a little bit more Um, because I've I've just heard people talking about how they're not sure how to do it. And I think the other last piece I'll add into this is I think people – I hear about this more from people because of my current position as a research director. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think people assume things about what I know about research design and methodology, and so they come to me with these issues maybe more. Because of that, because they, they know that I think about these things and that I'm interested in research. I have a research podcast, you know, those kinds of things. So it's like these issues have bubbled up to the surface, but it's like they've been funneled to me in a very particular way because people know I have a background of teaching and learning and they know that I have this research interest as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like the perfect combo for for what for that sort of thing. That's interesting. Right, right. I'm, I'm curious, Katie, if you can talk a little bit about... Um you know, what made you decide to kind of go the full comprehensive route as opposed to like, it seems to me that, that the areas that you're talking about, you could have broken out into smaller chunks and started, you know, with just the basic how to tackle the IRB, you know, <laughs> something like that. Right. You could have
0: started with a smaller chunk. And like that is module one. Chunk. Yeah, that is module one of the larger course. Yes.
1: <laughs> right. So if you need to know how to how to tackle the IRB. Um, but but why Basically, why go all in on the full comprehensive thing as opposed to kind of doing the smaller module chunks first and building it that way? You see what I mean? Like, I I feel like there are a couple different ways to build it, and I'm just curious your thinking for doing the full comprehensive package.
0: So this is a really good question, and like as you were asking it, I was getting so excited to respond. like this tells you how we are nerds you we guys we are so nerds like oh my gosh we just geek out on this stuff so much and i love it um so i actually thought through a range of different ways to do this and and i kind of forgotten about that so i'm really glad you asked this question so i had thought about cuz i have i have year 2 of how to academia coming up and i thought well what if i do a nine part series on designing a scholarship of teaching and learning project i mean like what there if i go. break it out um so i thought about that um, once I started doing a deep dive into the workbook and realized how long it was going to be, I did for a, for a very quick moment think, should this be a book? Like, should I pitch mm. this to my publisher? And But my pipeline for books right now is super full. So I was like, eh, I'm not sure. You know, like, I don't think I want to go that route. And the other piece, too, is I've always gone through this process. I did the same thing with the Academic Book Promotion Toolkit because I was like, how? what's the best way to package this for people? that they can kind of understand it. And I feel like if you're engaging in a scholarship of teaching and learning project, it's incredibly process oriented and certain things build on other things. So like your research question is gonna impact the methodology you choose to collect data. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's just, there's all these relationships between the different elements of your project. And even thinking about IRB, like how you design your project in terms of getting consent, like you need to be kind of thinking about these different things. And so part of it is the level of connection between the kind of individual modules. And for things like, like if you look at the how to academia webinar series, you could just go to a one off thing about editing a book collection, and not care about another topic related to um, engaging with journal editors. Like mm-hmm. you may, you may only have a very specific need around an edited collection that you don't really care about the eight other topics in the the course. Like you just want to hear me talk about and give you email templates for how to put together an edited collection, you know, like, I mean, so I think that that's, that's something to kind of consider. Now that doesn't stop me from creating that publishing master course, where it's like, if you're a graduate student, and you just want an overview of all of this stuff, because you're starting out your career, or maybe you're mid-career and you're trying to think about what to do next, like, yeah, buy the master course. I mean, it's going to give you everything you need to know, pretty much. Like, it's very comprehensive. But I also understand that people are going to come with very specific needs. So I think that it's it's also a question of what's already out there. I mean, like, if somebody is just having an issue with IRB, they can find out, they can go to their institution's IRB. You know, like, there there are resources that are available to kind of help them kind of process that. Um, this is really more about process and systems and thinking about how all the pieces relate to each other. And so for me, it needed to be a comprehensive guide. Hmm.
1: That's really interesting because I, 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 you know, knew that was part of the answer, but I also, there was part of me that was like, is it just that Katie wants to charge more for her product? <laughs> or, you know, I was wondering, like, how much does does the financial side play into that, because you, you alluded to earlier that that building these things is, takes a lot of time oh, yeah. and a lot of money. Yeah. And so if you're going to decide to invest in this, it better be worth it, uh, especially if you're going to go the comprehensive route. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about that it was really because you envision or you, you, you see that the... the the need here is more around the process than it is around a particular chunk or a particular part of the of the product so yeah that's that's really interesting
0: yeah well and i think that we're going to talk a lot about pricing you know later on in the Mm -hmm. season and that's definitely a factor i mean when i decide that i'm going to go all in with a master course i definitely think about pricing i mean it's Mm -hmm. and and i think that um there's so many different ways of doing it and you know the academic book promotion toolkit is a 500 dollars course you know, like mm-hmm. I spent uh, ni- nine months to a year of my life, like, first of all, experimenting with how to promote books and to like try and, and I, right. I continue to do that, you know, like learning the the skills and the strategies and the tactics. And and then I spent another nine months to a year or whatever building the thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a huge time investment. So and, and also the other piece too is like, that's a course that's meant to help people make money. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're, throwing money at me, and then they're not getting anything back. I mean, if they right. go through the course and really use the materials, they will increase their book sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the other thing about, you know, these courses is you want to be thinking about what is the value added for someone. And if it's tied to something like making money or doing their job more effectively, or getting a promotion, you know, like those kinds of things, then I I, I think about it slightly differently than if it's just, you know, something that's more, fun. You know, I, I I don't really create fun things, I guess. I mean, maybe that's not the right way to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't create things for people to do like as a hobby. I mean, I I, mm-hmm. I create a lot of stuff that's really about professional development and like upping your game. And yeah. typically that's tied to an increase in money on the client side or the customer side. And so mm-hmm. that means I have to price it appropriately so that they are, like I said before, like making an investment. I don't want someone to buy yeah. a thing and then like never look at it. You know, yeah. like that doesn't make sense to me. I want them to feel it in their wallet. So they're like, I'm going to squeeze every last drop out of this thing.
1: Right. I'm going to be in- invested in the process. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I think you, you raise a, a point here about um, the question of different markets and what different markets will support. So when I think about early childhood education, like no nobody has 500 bucks to shell out for a, a right. course, right? Like that's, that's just not a, a reality. And so when I'm thinking about pricing, I'm thinking about it very differently. And I I do think the pricing part of things actually sort of informs um, how I'm building what I'm building. Yeah. And so, you know, you're going at it from the comprehensive approach. I'm, I'm doing more of the like, let's build smaller pieces. And then eventually, if that leads to a larger course or, um, you know, could be bundled differently so that it's a bigger product at the end, um, That that's more my approach to this partly because of the market I'm trying to serve right and so I think when you're thinking about picking a topic you know and and thinking about picking what what is this product going to look like being very thoughtful about what will your market actually support um, because if I made a 500 course for that was targeted early early childhood educators people would laugh me out of the room like it just it wouldn't exactly. work that way. exactly well and so thinking about that is important
0: it's huge and I think that what you're describing is exactly what I did for the how-to academia webinar series. People right. told me, they were like, you are undercharging for these webinars. They're like, other people mm. do webinars and they're $300 a webinar. And I'm like, no graduate student is going to pay right. me $300 <laughs> for one hour on how to interact right. with a journal editor. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And and not and not really part of my value system in terms of trying right. to give access you know, to this information to people that I really think need it and who might be not in a position where they can pay for it. Now, mm. you have to be careful, and I think we've talked about this on the show, to not assume that people right. are poor, you know, like, or that right. they won't pay you for this in the way that you're, you need to be valued. But, you know, when I ran out those webinars, to buy an individual webinar is $40. Like, mm-hmm. it is not something where I feel like it's really going to break the bank. And to buy the right. entire package where you had the nine-part series, it was like 310 for the entire mm-hmm. year. Like, it was not 310 per webinar, you know? Like, right. I was really um, careful about that. But my model for that, like the money-making model for that particular product is not in the individual sales. It's in the institutional memberships, which are Mm -hmm. multiple thousands of dollars to get your faculty unlimited access to those webinars. Mm -hmm. So I was really, you know, if people want to buy this as an individual thing, great. That's not really going to be filling my business bank account. It's getting institutions to buy in on behalf of their faculty. So you end up marketing it in a couple of different ways. Um, and I think that's the other thing to consider is when you think about packaging, like this scholarship of, or this Sotal by Design course that I'm creating, I'm marketing it to institutions. I'm mm-hmm. not really marketing it to individual faculty. That would be too difficult. But I have connections with Centers for Teaching and Learning. I have a network of people. I already have a waiting list of people who are waiting to buy this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a different way of pricing it. I'm pricing it at like a licensing model versus yep. like an individual purchase model. So, th- and again, I don't want to get too far into this because we're going right. to <laughs> we're gonna do a deep dive in another episode. Um, but I think that you're right. You have to kind of think about that. And I'm willing to put in a, a relatively large amount of effort because I also think I'm going to be selling this for many years into the future. So that would be the other question is if you're creating something and your product is relatively trendy, like you're trying to capitalize on something that you don't mm-hmm. think is going to be evergreen, then I... I don't know that I would put in, you know, the amount of time I'm putting in for this comprehensive product, I might create something that's like, smaller, because I only think it's really going to sell for a couple of years, or, mm-hmm. or a year or six months or whatever it is, and then I'm going to retire it. I don't really create things that I plan to do that with, you know, like I create things that I want to be evergreen that five years from now, I want somebody to buy my course on organizing an edited collection, because I don't think that's really going to change, you know, in terms of the systems of, of what you need to do to manage that project in an effective way. So, I mean, that's the other piece is, like, how long of a tail, I don't know what the best way is to say it, but, like, basically, how long of a tail do you think this is going to have in terms of extending into your future marketing and how you're planning on selling this for many years to come?
1: That's a great point, especially as you think about, like, the passive income idea. You know, if you're going to make something, I I think you and I, Katie, at least, would agree that you want to make something that has a long shelf life, that that is going to be valuable and useful and yeah maybe you go in in a year and a half to 2 years and you tweak a few things you know you get some feedback from people and you say oh, okay well I'm going to adjust you know this page or this section a little bit because it, it you know there's been some updates in policy or whatever that make this different or whatever it is but um but you don't have to recreate the wheel every time you do that and so making products that have that long shelf life can be really valuable because you can, can c- continue to kind of shop that out for years to come and continue to be have that be a revenue source for you.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, so I want to shift us into thinking, Sarah, when do you feel like you are expert enough to be creating a product and saying, like, I am the go-to person for this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, how, yeah. how do you make that decision? Because that's, I think, what holds a lot of people up with product creation is yep. they're like, I'm not the right person for this. Like I, you know, like someone else is more expert than me. Like, it's like you have to hit a threshold of expertise. So talk about that.
1: Oh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a jerk. Um, Well, so for me, and you know, Katie and I, we talked a little bit about this before we hit record. Um, I've kind of come to this realization that despite the fact that I, you know, am am self employed and I'm off kind of doing my own thing. I am happiest and most energized and feel like I'm doing my best work when I'm working with other people. So whether that's here on Academic Gig with Katie or working on this uh, toolkit with Tracy or doing my videos with my producer, Tom, there are so many projects that I work on that have other people involved in at least part of the process. Um, I tend to still be a major mastermind of it and and the guider and leader of it. Um, But I really value having that other person come in and share their expertise and their value uh th- th- because there's there's things that they have that I don't. And so I like kind of doing projects where I can fill the gaps that I have with the expertise and knowledge and wisdom of other people. And so for this project in particular um where where that really came in uh is in the content. So I have a general um you know content expertise in early childhood development and in trauma and stress. I mean, I wrote a book about it. So like I have A general level of expertise in that area. What I don't have is the experience of every day in and out um, working with little kids who are experiencing stress and trauma. Like that's just not an experience I've had a lot of. And so when I was thinking about how do I make something that's useful for people who are in that position, I don't necessarily feel like I have a leg to stand on in some ways. And so I needed to kind of call in the expert who has that kind of experience to supplement my own expertise in particular ways um, to really make the content valuable. And so Tracy has provided a wealth of really useful practical strategy kinds of things um, that really make this, uh, this toolkit shine. I think Um, she has a lot of that expertise just from having done a ton of work in this area. And so though I bring this sort of, um, the design elements and and the video expertise and the sort of general content knowledge and thinking about how do we package this and, and w- what does it make sense cohesively for this to look like and moving the project forward in that way, for me, where I was lacking was in that particular content expertise that I wanted to sell. <laughs> and so um, having Tracy as the sort of content expert on that has really made that project work. And so I think for listeners, as you're thinking about building a product, if you're feeling like you don't have the expertise in the area that you need, there are lots of ways to get it, right? There's either going and learning about it, you know, anybody who uh, is, is doing any work in, in the academic fields, like you've, you've learned how to learn stuff. That's, that's one of the major um, advantages of, of being in that environment. But the other option is to call in somebody who you think does have the expertise that you're lacking and see if they're willing to work with you in some way, shape or form to make the product um, what you really want it to be. And so that's that was kind of my approach to dealing with that imposter syndrome was to go find somebody who does know better than I do, um, and who can provide that, uh, that expertise. But if either of us had tried to do this alone, it wouldn't be the product it is um, with us working together. And I think, That's why I get so excited about it and so excited about talking about it is because it's a cool thing that we've built together.
0: Well, and I I think you point out a really important point, and I want to, like, add a little bit of clarity to it as well, is you have a foundation for this. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like you, like, saw a gap and you knew nothing about it and you were like, let me go find somebody who knows enough that we can build this thing. Like, and I think that, so I want to clarify that. Like, this, I think when you're choosing a topic or an area of expertise... You certainly don't need to know everything, but you might need to you need to have a foundation. So it's not like you went out and you were like, well, it seems like there's a market for how to manufacture beer. I don't really know (laughs) anything about that. So let me go out and teach myself and then I can build a course on it. Like I do think there's this kind of area of the marketplace with online that's like if you've done it once, you can then tell people how to do it. You know what I mean? (laughs) So that's, That's yeah, that's not what we're talking about here. And I think that having imposter syndrome is like normal, natural, everybody's got it. So we're not, you know, I I think you need to be careful about delineating between imposter syndrome and like, really, you just, it's not your area. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be thinking about like, what is it that you have? You know, do you have experience? Or do you have, you know, you've written a book on something or you've talked (laughs) with a lot of other people about it? or you've trained other people in it, or, you know, like, whatever it may be. Um, so I, I do think it needs to be kind of rooted in something. Mm-hmm. But it could be rooted in a lot of different things, to give you that. I would agree. I would agree.
1: Well, I'm going to turn the question back to you, Katie. How do you deal with uh, this question of, of expertise? And can you ever have enough expertise <laughs> to feel like you're ready to, ready to make a product?
0: Well, I think part of it is... Um, So my answer to this is going to be, I think, kind of interesting in that I think it's rooted in people's perceptions of you in some way, Um, because I think about like, I don't necessarily think about myself as someone who can like train other people in research methods. Um, This has been an area that has always not been an area of strength for me because um, my training was in like feminist methodologies, So it was like action research. Um, It was not like experimental design. I never took a stats course in grad school. I was not required to. um, And I was trained qualitatively. So like my first book is all about like discourse analysis, film analysis. I mean, like it's not (laughs) really um, I mean, and it's not to like knock any of those things, but it's just to say when it comes to education research, it's not really about film analysis. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would not think about myself as like the obvious person. But then when you're like, well, you have uh, directed a center for teaching and learning for multiple years and worked with all these different disciplines about, you know, designing courses and and, and doing interventions in the classroom and experimentation. And now you run a research unit. Um, maybe I am the person to do this course, you know, <laughs> like, so I think it's also, and, and also I think my background in maybe not feeling super confident in these areas is actually what makes me effective in talking mm-hmm. with people about this. Because I can say, look, I was trained in the humanities. I'd never done an experimental design before three years ago. Um, and now I do them relatively frequently and I help other faculty to do them. And I've done a deep dive and really tried to understand what it means to do that and what are the best situations in which to do that and and how it aligns with different kinds of research you're trying to do. So, I mean, I think that part of it is What's the story you can tell about how you came to understanding the thing? And sometimes the story you can tell is actually what connects you to your audience. So with the Academic Book Promotion Toolkit, it's another good example. I started out knowing nothing about academic book promotion and marketing. And I had to teach myself because there was nothing out there. I couldn't find what I needed. And that's why I created the course. And I tell people that. Like, I could not find this. And I needed it. And I would have bought it if somebody else had created it. So I created it for other people.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you raise a really great point here about being able to put yourself in your consumer's shoes or in your customer's shoes, right? Like you, you were there a year and a half ago or whatever. So you know, that feeling of like, where do I even start with this? I have no idea what I'm doing. And so you can really cater your content to that because you've had that experience. You've, you've
0: been literally been that person before. And so that's really valuable as you're trying to connect with your audience. Well, and I think that this also points to one of our areas of strength, I think, as an academic, you know, if you have an academic background, is you can usually take pretty complex information and chunk it down in a way that lots of people can understand. I mean, if you've taught in a classroom at all, you have had some experience doing that and taking like an expert perspective and giving it to novices, you know, and trying to kind of translate that. And that's what a lot of this is in creating a product is and we're going to get into this you know later on in the season about how do you like chunk information in a way that makes sense how do you decide the organization of the product and how it's going to be delivered um but i think that that's something that is like a natural or maybe not natural it's a developed skill set that we have in academia that we can fall back on when we're doing this kind of product design Mm -hmm. Mm
1: mm-hmm i agree oh so much to think
0: about. I know. And I'm really excited. Great. (laughs) Okay. So anything else you want to touch on related to expertise and or audience and picking a topic before we close out today?
1: I think the biggest thing um, for people who, who are in a place where I was six months ago, talking about being in other people's shoes. uh, I was definitely in a place where I was like, I don't know what I can make. Like, what is it that I could create that would have value that people would actually want to buy. Like, I don't understand that. Um, But I had to I had to do a lot of that reflection and and be thoughtful about what is it that I know or um, in 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 areas that I don't feel as confident, who can I bring in? Um, And what is it that that the people I'm trying to reach might need? And what's a natural extension of the work I'm already doing, right? That's not going to be a ton of additional extra work and would be a thing that would be useful to me to have in the background and to be able to point people to and to be able to continue to, to extend the work I'm already doing. So I would just encourage any of you who are feeling like, I don't even know how to begin to pick what I would create to, to really reflect on some of those questions. Um, because I think you'll find that you know more than you think you might, and that there are areas that um, would really benefit from your knowledge and expertise in that way.
0: I would completely agree with that. And also, I would add that sometimes something gets its hooks in you and you can't let it go. (laughs) And that is a sign that it is something you need to create something around. If you're super passionate about something or if you just keep thinking about it. And, -hmm. you you know, like, and this was the case for a lot of the bigger projects I've done. Like, it's something that I find myself returning to over and over again. Then I'm like, okay, I just, I, and in some ways it's almost like exercising a demon you know it's like I can't get it out of my head until I create Mm -hmm. something around it that I can share with other people and then I can move on you know like and it's I think books are a good example of that like Mm -hmm. I need to put it into this like book and then I can move on to the next book but I can't do that until I kind of package it in a way that other people can understand and benefit from so if you've got something that's got its hooks in you that's another good sign
1: agreed agreed Oh, man, I'm so excited for the season. I think we're going to just be talking about all kinds of cool stuff. And hopefully our listeners agree and we'll come back for uh, the next several episodes um, where we'll be talking about things like content design and choosing your platforms and video creation and uh, systems for creating your content, all kinds of different things that we're going to be touching on this season. I am super excited,
0: Katie. We're building things.
1: Yay 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 for building a thing. All right. Well, (laughs) um,
0: thanks for checking in with this first episode. And uh, we hope you enjoy this season. Yay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Your Way. Show notes and a transcript for this episode can be found at KatieLinder.orgslash podcasts. Make Your Way is part of the Radical Self-Trust podcast channel, a collection of content dedicated to helping you seek self-knowledge, nurture your superpowers, playfully experiment, live your core values with intention, practice loving kindness toward yourself and others, and settle into your life's purpose learn more about the RST channel at katylinder.work podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please also consider rating and or reviewing the show in iTunes. Thanks for listening.